0: Welcome to Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast.
1: Welcome to Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast, hosted by me, Martin Carl of Kibetic. and me, Johnny Combe of Payback Phone. Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast, takes a look at the impact of new business models and new technologies on urban mobility from a global business perspective. And explores how each new solution fits into the wider mobility ecosystem. The format of Ride is simple. We invite top industry experts to join us for an open and candid conversation. Ride is about the guests, what they have to say, and what they bring to the discussion. You can find more details about shows and guests on our website, www.ridemobilitypodcast.com. As regular listeners to this podcast know, it's not an automotive podcast. However, this episode of Ride is all about cars. We all know the story. Despite growing congestion on our roads, cars spend something like 95% of the day parked. They're also expensive to own and run. For many people, a car is famously the second largest financial commitment after your house or home. So what if we could use cars when we need them, leaving the ownership to someone else? That's someone else being a car club or a car sharing operator, happy to assume the responsibility for the total cost of ownership of these high value assets. And we're not just talking about private users. This may be an attractive option for businesses, not only taking away the burden of fleet management, but also helping with metrics such as CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, and ESG, Environment, Social and Governance. So in this episode of Ride, we take a look at a clear example of usership rather than ownership with two experts in car sharing. From Enterprise Mobility, we have Oz Chowdhury, Head of Mobility Solutions for the UK and Ireland. And from Berlin-based Miles Mobility, we have company CEO Oliver McPrang. In this episode, we talk about the differences between car club, car sharing, leasing and rental. We also discuss the challenges and opportunities of free-floating and station-based or back-to-base models. And we look at how car sharing fits into the wider mobility ecosystem. (music) Oz Chowdhury, Oliver Macprang, welcome to Ride the Urban Mobility podcast. Oz, let's start with you. You've been with Enterprise Mobility for a long time and in that time you've seen it change from a car rental company to one that talks about mobility and you've had a major role in the creation of the Enterprise Car Club. So give us the elevator pitch of what Enterprise Mobility is and a word or two on Car Club but bearing in mind we'll come back to that later. So Enterprise uh, Mobility is a leading
2: provider in mobility solutions. And that includes car hire, fleet management, van rental, car sharing, car sales, van pooling, luxury rental, transportation, and technology services and solutions. It's all designed on making our services much more convenient and easier for the customer to access. Uh, We've just rebranded. So this marks the next chapter uh, in our story. And it's really about reinforcing a very strong commitment to delivering exceptional service to our customers and I believe innovating with intention as we meet their ever-changing needs. Uh, And I think we've always been a sort of people first, purpose-led organization, and our vision is very clear. We want to be the world's best and most trusted uh, mobility company. Um, I've been with Enterprise now for over 24 years. Um, my role as head of mobility solutions is to work with public sector and private organizations on helping them be much more efficient in the way that they access our services and ultimately the way that they manage travel journey planning with a view to really looking on reducing emissions delivering savings uh, and, and developing new technologies and innovation that will help them be better as an organization. Um, We've had a lot of success in introducing our car sharing program in the UK. It's called Enterprise Car Club. Uh, It's the largest car sharing operations in the UK and in Ireland, over 2,000 vehicles that our customers can access. And particularly, we have a lot of success offering that to our customers, our B2B sector in terms of the private sector and the public sector. So very excited to be on today's podcast and to discuss more of those concepts.
1: So from a company that was established back in 1957 to a much younger company, Oliver, you're the CEO of Miles Mobility, but you're not the founder. You have a mobility background and came into Miles as CEO. But what is Miles and what was the experience that you brought to the company?
3: Yeah, so Miles is a car sharing operator. We like to be a bit more uh, ambitious and call ourselves a a car network operator. Um, So at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is give people easy, flexible, reliable access um, to car mobility, whichever way they, they, they want uh, to, to use it. Um, and through this, kind of reduce the need for private ownership. Um, at the end of the day, kind of opening up a more multimodal form of, of, of transportation. Um, at the end of the day, um, a car is still an extremely reliable, comfortable form of transportation. Um, and kind of giving that up, especially in the Western world, where a lot of our cities and urban environments are kind of modeled to this form of transportation is very difficult. And we want to fill that niche and, and, and ensure that you can have this reliable access whenever you want it, it's affordable, it's safe, and that way uh, enable you to use alternatives more frequently and, 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 and introduce them into your day-to-day. Uh, and so that's, that's the space that we fill. Um, we're based out of Germany. Uh, we're the largest operator in Germany by, by far, probably in Europe with over 20,000 vehicles uh, in our fleet that we offer our, our, our customers.
1: And your background, like I said, you, you have a mobility background that you brought into this?
3: So I, um, uh, I'm a consultant by trade um, and have and been in the mobility space either as a founder uh, previously or, or as a consultant um, for, for the past uh, 15 years, I would say.
1: Great, thank you. Well, we're going to talk primarily about car sharing today, but although your companies operate in this space, it's not your exclusive business. We know the history of Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And Miles Mobility, as you just said, is not only a car sharing provider, but also a car network and mobility provider. But I'd love to talk about some definitions because I think definitions are critical to shaping a business model, particularly here. Car club suggests long term membership. Car subscription suggests commitment, but also versatility. Lease suggests to me paperwork and a major commitment. Rental suggests one off use. So, how do we differentiate between car rental, car leasing, car sharing, car club? Oz, how do you see the difference maybe between long term rental and short term lease? So,
2: when we've looked at our car club operations um what we've actually done is just integrated it into our overall offering so um really when our consumer wants to access um, our services whether it's for 30 minutes or whether it's for 24 hours or for a week or a month um, what we've tried to do is really integrate the way that we make it accessible to them and that really involves us looking at the way we provide it to the end user in terms of whether they're accessing it through apps or digital platforms, uh, the way we price these access to these vehicles. Um, so we've spent a lot of time really taking the concepts of maybe say car sharing, uh, which was quite niche in the UK, and actually just making it part of our overall offering. And we've seen that allows to really diversify our consumer base. So where is maybe car sharing, could have been seen as a very retail-led operation historically in the UK because we've integrated it into our overall operation. So really, whether you come to us because you want car hire, but actually car club would be more relevant to the profile of your journey. What we've seen that is that that has absolutely helped break down those barriers, made it much more accessible, made it more commercially viable, and actually generated significant usership and adoption, which is really important, right? That's what you need to do to get this into the day-to-day journey decision-making of the consumer. So they see it not as a niche product, but something that is very credible, very reliable. Now, underpinning all of that has to be that they have a very high expectation when it comes to the the service they receive. So for us, we've probably, rather than it being seen as separate silos in terms of modes of transport, we've actually... a lot of work to integrate our own services internally in the way that we then offer that to our consumer and then that allows us then to then deliver it into the communities where we operate where we're working with other operators as well so i think we feel we're feeling right now that um car sharing our car club operations in the uk and ireland Mm -hmm. is really really important in the way that it integrates with say our vehicle hire car hire services Uh, And then we reward as well accordingly. So if you join Enterprise Car Club, you'll get discounts of vehicle hire services as well and vice versa. So,
1: yeah, for us, it's definitely about integrating it. Miles charges per kilometer, not per minute. Oliver, tell us, how does that work and how does that differ from other businesses?
3: It's not really as much as a differentiator as you would assume in terms of uh, revenue. Um, It's it's much more, uh, I think it's a claim towards the customer that we emphasize, which is a reliable price at the end of the day, if you go from home to the office, um, be it, you know, during rain, during peak rush hour, um, a a, a miles ride will always cost you the same because the distance will always be the same. Um, This whole aspect of of yield pricing, uh, increasing, you know, during high demand hours or, or, or charging differently, I think that that's something that can definitely give you short term gain, but I think the customer will penalize you in, in the long run, especially if um, if you're looking to become an everyday mode of use or a reliable form of transportation. So with us, we just always figure that it's fair to kind of price the distance. And that way, the customer always knows um, how much, especially because people are you know uh, creatures of habit, you're always going to the same locations, mostly. That means you have like kind of a locked in price point in your head, knowing like, okay, going from A to B is going to cost me this much, going from B to C is going to cost me this much. And it doesn't really matter if it's a Friday, a Saturday, if it's late or early. Um, and so that, that's kind of what, what we emphasize uh, with this kilometer based pricing. In terms of what Oz just mentioned, I think one of the biggest problems in, in the mobility space is creating these silos and definitions um, that the customer obviously doesn't see. Right, so what do you call a car sharing ride that that that's two days long? Right, is isn't that like rental? And what do you call a rental that's like twenty one days, thirty days? Is that like a, is that like a short term lease? Or and 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 I think that oftentimes we 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 in the industry have this this like these silos we want to create, but the customer at the end of the day doesn't really care. They <laughs> they want a car for this amount of time, or maybe they actually took the car with the thought of taking it for a week and it ended up being two weeks because the, the, you know, they took a left turn or did another business trip with it. And, and so you have to create a very fluid model uh, that allows this level of flexibility and not be too, um, to set in your norms of how you, how you position it, how you uh, enable the interaction with the product, be it booking, opening the vehicle, how you do the pricing model, how you do the invoicing. Um, it's, I, I agree with Oz, it's, it's, you know, this fully integrated um, aspect is extremely crucial in order to really um, gain customer trust and at the end of the day, habit. Oliver, you know,
2: it's uh, interesting when
3: we um, have taken some
2: of our product to the customer. So we will take a car club to demonstrate how it works. But we also may have one of our just normal vehicle hire cars there as well. There's no difference you know, the customer couldn't tell you the difference other than that maybe one's got a bit of livery or branding on it. Uh, And obviously, there's some telematics involved. But you're absolutely right to them. All they're really interested about is um, access, you know, how how do I get access to this when it's relevant to the profile of the journey that I'm about to conduct or I want to plan. So yeah, I I totally agree. We've really seen a lot of success in breaking down the the silos but we i also take martin's point there is still um the need for definitions because you're you're also trying to um create that sort of collaborative environment particularly in the uk where you're getting transport operators to work with each other so um it's about understanding the role that you play in support of others as well so maybe that's where some of those definitions are playing their role so you know as a car club operator we understand how we can work with public transport with active travel uh, and so there's maybe a need for definition in that sense but to the actual consumer the the message you're trying to get to them is actually you want as much choice as possible Uh, and whether that's car clubs vehicle hire bike hire bike share public transport shared mobility it's all about giving you as much choice because uh, your journey planning will change day to day, hour to hour. Um, and so you need to have that choice. So I think yeah, I absolutely agree with you Oliver. It. It's, it's great to see that um, we think the same, because I think that's what our consumer is telling us right now, actually. Um, they don't pick Car Club because of its technology capability or the fact that you can book it through the app, they're booking it because it's convenient. They expect a high level of service, and it's very, you know, it's relevant to the journey they're about to conduct. So,
1: let's talk about the people who are using the vehicles that uh, we're talking about here. As you mentioned, a term that I like particularly for this discussion, which is usership. We're talking about usership versus ownership in uh, in this, and um, you also mentioned B two B. So, I'm interested from both of you: who are the people that are using? your services and how much do you offer b2b services how much do you offer b2c Oz, do you want to go first yes thank you um so actually when we first launched our car sharing
2: operations in the uk we actually launched it first to our business to business customers those b2b customers because what we could see is that um the concept of um the car club was um, a very efficient way for them to maybe look at inefficient pool vehicles that they had and actually they could use the way that we provided the vehicles with technology the ability to immediately book them schedule them and have high utilization i.e adoption um, was a really good way to introduce them into the b2b customers so that was actually what i did for the first couple of years when i was uh, selling car clubs gosh, 15 years ago, and we had really good uptake. In fact, today, it's one of our big sectors. Uh, Our big consumer is from the business to business community. And also what we found, and we still have this capability today, is in our Car Club app, we have a toggle where you can um, toggle from being a business user to then a retail consumer. And so, what we're seeing is that it's influencing or it's changing behavior because they use it for work. And actually, they can now consider it because they see that there's an enterprise car club close to where they live. Um, so, we have absolutely always um, targeted the business to business community, particularly the public sector, can I say, in the UK, have been very progressive in adopting it not only for. Residents, but for their own staff and business travel. But then um, I'm sure, I think I've mentioned before in the introduction, we have a big presence uh, on street uh, where you know we have car clubs available to residents, uh, and so we'd see a lot of consumer from that walk of life where it's just on demand, 24 seven access, as and when they need the access to the vehicles. Great, they would have joined us through a membership program. Uh, and then they can book these vehicles uh, in very short increments and actually, uh, dare I say it, uh, post covid we're seeing our consumer uh, come to us in many profiles, you know um as a leisure customer or. Could be as a business customer uh, or combining both. You know, very much a hybrid working situation that we see, and with a lot of people working from home now, we're seeing that people want access to our services close to not just where they used to work, but now where they live as well. So, yeah, we have always targeted the B two B market. We'll continue to do so, and uh, but doesn't also that also means that we've got a very strong presence
3: in the retail leisure market as well. And Oliver, B2B, B2C? So we definitely started out of the B2C area. Um, it's it's still with it's still our strongest um, revenue uh, area, and we've kind of put more emphasis on to um, growth, expanding the product capabilities uh, over the last years um, just to get a relevant footprint. Um, and at the beginning of this year, we launched our B2B service, which is growing uh, significantly, but still a very small proportion of our, of our business. Basically, at the end of the day, our competitors are somewhere in the rental space, uh, in the car sharing space. And when we started uh, four years or five years ago, we we're just too small to really, you know, be able to to present a reliable business solution to to large corporates or or, or anyone like that. Now, obviously, with our fleet size, it's a totally different proposition. If if you talk to a customer today, uh, you can fulfill their their needs. You're in you're in you're in a significant amount of cities. You're in a significant amount of airport locations. Um, so now. Uh, if you're talking to like a consultancy or someone who, who has a lot of business travel, um, you can fill this need that they have. And so we really spent most of our time focusing on the product. Um, there's a bunch of tweaks that that, that we do differently to, to our competitors to make it as as reliable as possible and as convenient as possible. And then once we had this product depth, this footprint, that's when we kind of introduced a, a B2B solution. Because prior to that, you're just, it's, it's an uphill battle. You know, if you're going to some some client saying, "I have a hundred vehicles uh, like they're, <laughs> you know and they're all in one city you 're not really going to fulfill their their, their needs, um, and so now we 're in a different position and, and, and we've we've put a higher emphasis on on this
2: you know Oliver, it's interesting for me that um, when we have launched our car club operations in towns and cities, usually it's obviously in partnership working alongside that local authority and the team uh, responsible, but a lot of the times the conversation we have is that you know, you're putting this in place for the residents. It would also be great um, to practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you as a local authority, you you also have um, a demand, uh, a need to travel. Um, will you use the services as well? And, you know, it's interesting, you know, the feedback that you get. Um, sometimes it's, well, our policy doesn't allow us to or we need to update our policy. But I suppose um, a lot of that for us is... Um, we're looking at our car club operations and understanding the long-term sustainability of that product. And we can see that as long as we continue to diversify who that consumer base is. So we never really went into this saying that it was always going to be predominantly retail. We always assumed that we could diversify and grow different uh, consumers within that. Um, I think that's our responsibility, you know, to break down some of those um, perceptions that car club is really only for residents or it's a retail-led scheme or you know businesses wouldn't access it quite the opposite in fact we probably find that um like i said earlier you know a lot of smes a lot of uh, organizations it become very dependent on the uh, sort of need for car club and then the supporting infrastructure that goes in um to to help that develop and grow but adoption you know you've really got to you've got to challenge it haven't you You've really got to break down um the idea that Only certain type of demographic or age or profile would use car club. That's just not true.
1: It's all about access, convenience, service and cost. On that subject of B2B then, how does the offer play into companies' sustainability targets, CSR, ESG? How can you help them with that?
2: We've got a lot of examples where we have been able to introduce um, our car club services and then what happens is they uh, typically are either there to reduce or replace an existing maybe pool fleet. So they've got some vehicles, um, but they're not very well utilised. They may be fairly old. So from a CO2 perspective, not very uh, efficient. And so we are replacing them with um, EV car club vehicles. Uh, We're also um, very good at Making sure that they're highly utilized, so we're looking at minimum seventy to eighty percent driven utilization. So again, there's less of them, but those that are being used are being used very efficiently, and so straight away you're able to um, demonstrate savings against not only cost and reduction in business miles travelled. So again, having a massive impact there from a the sustainability, but also showing the reduction in CO2 from a tonnage perspective because it's what you're comparing against. And I think um, the third aspect there for me that has been really interesting is that in the UK particularly, we see a lot of B2B, particularly the public sector, um, reimburse staff to travel. Um, So they call it mileage reimbursement or it's actually sometimes referred to as grey fleet because it's in a grey area, no one manages it. And that's typically people using their own personal vehicle um, and uh, they're then being reimbursed per mile uh, if they conduct business travel within their own personal vehicles. The problem is is that I think the average age of these vehicles in the UK is something like 8.5 years. So it's a very old fleet. Typically from a health and safety perspective, no one's really managing that duty of care. And so it's not only emitting a lot of CO2 emissions, it's not being controlled. And we see that car club has been very effective at cannibalizing what I call that grave fleet because the grave fleet typically is quite a short length of um, journey. You know, It's very localized and actually car club does a very nice job of doing that, particularly if it's an EV car club. So we absolutely um, help organizations deliver on their sort of sustainability um, targets. In fact, um, I think one of our featured uh, case studies is with the Highland Council. Um, and so obviously they uh, have a number of our car club uh, that they use for staff travel. And then outside of those core hours, um, residents and locals can use them. But actually, where well, I think when they did their um, analysis, um, they had saved something like, £800,000 just in the first 12 months compared to what they were paying to conduct the same travel and there was um, significant CO2 savings and I think they were successful in awards as a result of that as well so we absolutely have an impact without a doubt Car Club can definitely help you um, achieve your targets and it needs to
3: And same for Miles uh, it's, it's interesting what you, you're you asking because it's a mix of what you can offer but also the companies customers preaching one aspect and kind of acting in in this in a a different fashion right so I think from an ESG angle you're always kind of trading off sustainability to comfort right because at the end of the day we could all just walk everywhere that would be the that would be the simplest thing and that's green and healthy but that's obviously not really a practical solution for for businesses or for for cities or for you personally because it it just doesn't just doesn't work so the question is are you trying to get better? Are you trying to reduce your emissions? Are you trying to save cost? Are you trying to um, to trade current emissions for lesser emissions at the same level of comfort? So it really depends, like, what is the company really after? And And so one aspect might be that you're talking to a company that has a very... A very lax uh, corporate car policy, right? So uh, you know all the all the teams and all the XX have have like you know high end vehicles and they've been accustomed to it. Um, that's a very uphill battle. Um, that it doesn't really matter what it is you're offering. Um, if if there's no personal cost to the people making the decision, they'd much rather just you know keep keep the perk, right? And then it really depends on what's the company really trying to 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 do. Are they trying really to to reduce their their own fleet, um, are they trying to 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 do uh, the the ESG in, in Germany at the moment? There, there's a lot of rec- regulatory requirements around, you know, uh, calculating your footprint. Um, so are are they really running through the ringer and and, and honestly um, calculating the, their emissions um, and and trying to reduce the the travel emissions? Um, so it, are they trying to reduce costs simply by you know reducing their fleet and and, and bring it to us? Um, it, it, it's, it, you have to kind of tailor it um, to, to, to the customer. But at the end of the day, facts will always speak for themselves. You need to say you know, what kind of comfort you can deliver, um, and, and it has its limits. Um, I, th- I still think it's, all of our solutions are extremely competitive, especially when you take it into a mobility mix. right? So you're not really losing time. You're not really spending more money than you're currently spending. It's, it's all very competitive and I, I feel appealing. But at the end of the day, the question is, are, are these companies willing to, to go the step to introduce these models, to kind of make them a prerequisite or preferred mode of choice? Uh, are they really willing to, to say away with their, with their in-house fleets? Um, I mean, we can argue it, we can present it, um, but at some point, the company is going to need to make up their mind, either at a leap of faith or because they really believe in the, in the system. And uh, I think oftentimes that's when you know, starting on the B2C path is, is practical because there's nothing easier than selling a selling a B2B customer that's already a B2C user. That's the easiest thing I'll, I'll ever do, right? Is someone who's like, "Hey, I've used your model as a customer. It's great. I think that's that's why we want to introduce it here to a company." And and of course, I buy into the to the ESG and I and I see the sustainability angle of it. That's easy. You know, selling selling to the ivory tower that has a, you know, a personal car and and there's a three-car house, a three-car household with only two two grown-ups getting them to walk away from a uh, from From a personal car is is very difficult
1: as yeah. you mentioned, the reimbursement that people get for using their own cars there there 's a growing trend among some of the larger companies to offer a mobility budget as opposed to a company car, so people get an amount of money per month that they can spend on transportation. Are you receiving are you aware that you 're receiving payments from people who are using mobility budgets is that Is that something that you're finding growing
2: we are definitely seeing a trend towards that concept of mobility budgets interestingly enough i would probably argue that today for most of the corporates that we engage with they probably have a version of mobility through the maybe their existing travel management companies so they already have agreements for say rail hotels car hire maybe including car club and and public transport. So um, what they're probably doing right now is, to Oliver's point, they are looking at maybe their existing travel policy and understanding do they need to expand it to include more services. And then I think they're at a stage right now, a lot of these organisations where they have absolutely made the connection between travel and some of their ESG or sustainability targets. And so they're then trying to understand um, have they got the right solution? Does, so a travel policy can be very effective. I mentioned, you know, the, the public sector reimburses staff. So there's a significant spend on mileage reimbursement and that's policy driven. So you absolutely can change behavior. But do you have the right policy and do you have to update your policy? Um, we did do a study, which I think might be worth mentioning um, earlier this year across um, about five countries: Germany, France, Spain, the UK, Ireland, and we surveyed about a thousand employees within our customer base. Um, and we basically were asking them some very specific questions about what their expectations are when it comes to being able to access mobility. Um, you know, m- maybe sustainable transport within that and choice. And I just, I was just looking at some of the headline stats there. You know, fifty-three percent of the employees that we surveyed want better multimodal travel options for work journeys, which is interesting. So they want it, but maybe their perception is that they don't have access to it. Um, more than a third said that they were already making multimodal journeys for leisure. So Oliver, to your point, you know, your mindset is is that it's quite normal from a personal standpoint uh, to access some of these services. But when I come to work, they're not available to me. And, and why is that the case? Um, nearly half of the companies that... Um, That were surveyed from the employee bases that we spoke to they probably said that they weren't necessarily seeing multimodal travel being encouraged so maybe they weren't being engaged with to say what else do you need and and actually the final stat here is that on average workers um sort of 26 percent of their business journeys couldn't be conducted by the idea of public transport alone so there's still a huge dependency on the car I absolutely believe that companies right now are looking to understand what is um, a fit-for-purpose travel policy. We're definitely seeing concepts like mobility credits come in. Um, if I've been involved with them right now, I've actually been involved in them more from a local authorities where they've instigated it uh, for the residents. So I was involved in the mobility credit scheme in Coventry, and that was uh, offering residents to scrap their old di- diesel vehicle If it was uh, eight years plus, you were given two and a half thousand pounds and then that two and a half thousand pounds could be spent on a number of forms of uh, transport, multimodal transport, uh, active travel, shared mobility, you name it. Um, But that was very much a retail led scheme and was there to really have an immediate impact on reducing the car ownership and the congestion and, and CO2 associated with that. But we're definitely seeing that version of mobility credits now come into the B2B world because they're looking at the travel policy and actually thinking, Um, It may not always be that you're given a car, a company car, or um, that's the path that we take you as part of your career progression. It actually might be that you now, because you're hybrid working, you want better access to public transport or an alternative to the car. And actually, most of us probably realized during COVID when we sat there that Um, A car is pretty idle most of the time anyway Um, so why not give people more choice it may even be more cost efficient so I'm definitely seeing but I think we're just at the start of that um, change within the mindset with the the
1: the b2b customers I'd like to talk about the infrastructure behind your operations what's needed to make car sharing or a car club work obviously you need the vehicles but what else is required to enable you to deliver your services
3: yeah so you need very little management. You can be very lean, very lean around it. Um, you do require all of the, I would say, technical bells and whistles that you would assume. So you need an you need an app, a technology to to offer a front end to the customer, something to interact with the telematic solution. You need a customer service team that can you know troubleshoot or or um, you know answer invoicing questions. All this type of you know that that you need. Now, what you require, and you can either have this in-house or, or, or with with partners, is a significant amount of blue collar. Um, and I would say you require this simply because of the trip volume that you have. I'm talking about somebody who's our size, right? So when you have 20,000 vehicles on the road, it's all about utilization. It's all about vehicle uptime. It's all about how efficiently can you deliver this. And when you have millions of, of, of trips, um, you're going to have vehicle issues, you're going to have accidents, you're going to have, you know, um, uh, I think in the UK it's called an MOT or, or TÜV in, in Germany. So you have these type of aspects. You have, you know, the, the flat tires, you have a bunch a bunch of stuff that can, can occur. You have vehicles misplaced, you have towings, like all these type of things. And so what we've really put a lot of emphasis on at miles is being really good at operations, is being really good at, at, kind of delivering vehicle uptime, ensuring that the vehicle is at, at par with our quality standards uh, and, and made available to, to the users. And so you can do this in-house or you can partner with, with relevant service providers, but there is no mom and pop um, garage or, or uh, that can kind of service the, the needs that we have. So you really have to ensure that you streamline with your vehicle partners, with your spare parts partners, with your uh, suppliers, um, with with logistic teams, I mean, we service uh, over a dozen cities. Yeah, need to ensure that the vehicles are at the right place at the right time in the right condition. Um, so you have to kind of handle all of this, these elements. And so um, I would say that something that's significantly underestimated, although we are a technology company, um, are how how reliant we are on actual physical interactions with an, with a, with a vehicle. It's a it's a two tons of steel, um, and and there's no line of code. Um, that will kind of teleport it from, from A to B. It's, you, you need to still do this. So uh, just, just to answer your, your question, we have a lot of staff, um, um, blue collar, that's just trimmed on efficiency and, 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 and cost awareness. Uh, and, and we work with service providers in order to be able to deliver um, the service at, at, at the quality we're, we're expecting. Very
2: strong um operational support for our car club um so in terms of what infrastructure is required it's interesting I, I probably would answer that and when we engage with local authorities and they have a um desire to deploy car club in their area um obviously we're dependent on them to uh give us the uh, the best access and the best uh, locations where we can place these vehicles. And actually with the the, the infrastructure requirement there is, you know, you want to position them where they will um, make sense in terms of the consumer. Uh, You want them to be readily available, um, highly uh, marketed. I mean, a car club is a great billboard, right? Because it's got its livery and it's saying, hey, I'm a car club, use me. So you want them placed in the right location. Um, When it comes to infrastructure as well, you want to make sure that the planning uh, teams that you work with at the local authorities are supportive um, because like Oliver said, we absolutely have a a very significant operations team um, managing those vehicles and any of the incidents that may occur. Mm -hmm. Infrastructure, um, isn't always about digital infrastructure as well. You're looking at non-digital. So we have uh, the Enterprise Clubhouse, which is all about people being able to contact us, to um, talk to us, um, ask for support or resolve any issues. Um, uh, it, maybe it's not quite infrastructure, but I think what we also look for when we're deploying is strong support, both in terms of the local authority and the way that they help us market and position Car Club. And that includes physical um, infrastructure being um, available to help market these vehicles because obviously we have our own marketing campaign because it's all about um adoption it's all about driving usage it's all about making it clear to the consumer um that you you know it's there to be used and it will have a positive impact and it's a great service um we then really like to wrap this up with maybe some of the other infrastructure that we see uh, local authorities can help with so particularly positioning some of these car clubs near train stations or depots like bus depots. You may call them a mobility hub, but area infrastructure where you know that you're going to meet a consumer who's predisposed to kind of using multimodal journey. And that's what we want, right? We want adoption because everyone who becomes a champion of car club then goes on and tells someone else that it really works. You can absolutely access these vehicles. They're there. They're on demand. They're very reliable. It's great service. It's very cost efficient. That's what you need. So infrastructure absolutely comes with the operational support. But I think you also, as an operator, need to sort of make clear to local authorities who or your B2B customers what is the requirement there from actual wayfinding to marketing to support, etc. Yeah. So a lot of effort goes into um operating a car club, as you'd imagine. Yeah.
1: Oliver, you made the point about the importance of the vehicle being in the right place at the right time. Um and Oz, you've been talking about something that sounds much more like a station-based operation. So how how do you balance what you're offering with people's maybe requirements for more of a free floating offering uh, and i, I there's a question for both of you oliver you're not you're not a station based operation as you are i guess you both look at each other and think well that we could have that as well or i'm glad we don't do that or i'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts
2: so so for us um it's a, a back to base model um and that's what our consumer is telling us works for them.
1: So that means you have a location in a town where people would have to go to that location to pick up the vehicle and then bring it back to one of those wherever their destination is.
2: Absolutely. Um, and I suppose when I am said to you, we've integrated our car club into our wider vehicle hire services. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of our consumers, when they want to do maybe a one-way journey, um they may consider our vehicle hire services where you could access that vehicle and you can drive from an inner city to maybe an airport or, you know, to a a further destination. Interesting enough as well, what I've seen over the years is that um, the buses, the trains seem to be very good for um helping consumers with that one way requirement, you know, sort of going from A to B. So a lot of the times when we've positioned our car club, we can see that the workhorse is the train or the bus that's bringing the consumer in. And then maybe we're maybe not quite the last mile, but we're within that vicinity uh, and vice versa. So um, we've not had a huge demand uh, from our consumer base to sort of go to that maybe free floating or one way model. So it's, it's we've seen um, a couple of operators in the UK that were Um, using that model Um, but it hasn't been something that we've yet ventured to or something that our consumer is telling us and I suppose that's where we would always take the initial steer from is is it something our customer wants
1: so Oliver people bring Oz's vehicles back to where he wants them Uh, in your case maybe not so much so how do you
3: balance that you know I think the grass is always greener on on the other side right and and so um, we have much more demand than 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 Oz has because people can do one directional trips. So right with Oz, if you start the if you start it, you have to commit the whole day or at least some kind of return, right? Well, if you look at like kind of mobility behavior, I can, um, so it's, it, today's the, the, the Christmas party here in the office. So um, I'm not planning on taking a car uh, back home with me um, a- afterwards. So I, I did a one directional trip and now I can kind of leave it here and, 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 and kind of forget about what, what's happening with it. Uh, Oz's, Oz's model would not have um, allowed that, um, right? So, um, on the other hand, Oz's model allows for pre-reservation. I assume so you can kind of commit, saying, "Okay, I want the car to be there." I have some. I have an even higher level of of reliability and certainty that the car will will be there when I when I've pre-reserved it. Um, we have so it's it's kind of like both models have their um, have their tweaks, right? Um, I think uh, ours has much more. Um, the 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 sheer sum of one directional trips um, is is higher than 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 the return trip aspect. However, um, Oz has more reliability then it's always the proximity to the station. Am I someone who lives like you know right at the station? Then I, then obviously Oz's model is is extremely um, attractive. However, if if you're someone who doesn't live near the 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 vehicle station base, then where's really the difference to our model where you have to walk to it anyways, right? So it's. <laughs> it's kind of, it's a give or, give or take always and and, and it really de- depends on your lifestyle on, on what your core use cases are or what your mobility alternatives are so uh, I, I would say you know Berlin has a really fantastic public transport uh, system, so there's you know you're not you're not in the in the boondocks in the middle of nowhere where you know there's a bus that comes every ninety minutes and that's your only real alternative um so it, it really all these aspects you know Disposable income. Your, um, your. I know people that bike when there's when there's snow outside, right? These people are, are, you know, are hardcore. If you're if you're that type of person, uh, something might not bother you as much as uh, as something else. So it, it's really, I think, quite individual. And at the end of the day, it's something that I always repeat when talking to authorities: station-based car sharing or or car clubs and free float. They both have a role to play in this. They both have a role to play in this, and I think that you know together they can just alleviate the need for privately owned uh, vehicles
1: this obviously is ride the urban mobility podcast we talk about much more than just cars so i want to see how what you offer fits into the wider mobility ecosystem how do you ensure that you are part of an integrated transport solution
3: so for us what we do is we integrate with public transport authorities we do this it's something that we've put a hard focus on so in berlin hamburg munich um, we partner with with, uh, with the PTOs, so they usually have a mass app, so like a, a multimodal uh, transport app. And in Berlin, it's called ELB, in Hamburg, it's called Switch. So you can book public transport tickets, your monthly passes. You can book us directly through the app. You can book all of the different, you know, micromobility providers. So it's a one-stop shop, really, for mobility within within the city. What we're trying to do is eliminate any kind of barrier of entry that's possible. And so the way that Miles kind of sees it is, if you have an app or if you have a platform and you have a customer who has the demand and we have a car that could fit that demand why should i penalize myself miles who wants the utilization and the customer who wants the 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 form of transport so we partner with a lot of ptos in 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 every city we we operate with we also have private partnerships for example we partner with uh, free now which is uh which is uh, a, a traditionally a ride hail um, organization but you can also book the vehicles directly through there we partner with Sixt for example which is a competitor of, of Oz's on, on a different uh, scale so you know for us it's all about enabling as many people access to the vehicles as, as possible.
2: Don't worry Oliver I not hold that against you. Um, I, I think we're very similar Martin in fact um, we um, have made a point and that has been my role to sort of go out and find some of those projects that allow us to understand how we should be um, integrating and presenting our services. So one of the programs I just wanted to highlight is um, uh, is a mass project which is taking place in the Highlands and Islands. It's called Go High. It's operated by High who run the um, public transport in and around the islands and uh, itself. Um, and they were successful um, in collaborating with Enterprise and uh, another company called Fleet On Demand Mobility Services um, to put forward some funding from the Scottish government to deploy a mass platform uh, in the Highlands and Islands. And the reason um, it was really exciting is because um, the objective was to provide a fully integrated mass platform that included all the public transport, all the shared mobility um, and active travel and to give the residents... The businesses and tourists of the Highlands and Islands an alternative, and uh, and absolutely just like Oliver said, you know, part of your responsibility is to ensure that you're fully integrated, that it's a very uh, efficient, very easy journey for the consumer, so they can access your services and other modes of transport. But I think what was really telling for me throughout that whole project, and it's still live. It's uh, you know we, we, we're two years in, and we hope we'll be going for a few more years. Is um, at one there was at some point all the operators and I remember this meeting there was a room of us there must have been about twenty operators we've got ferries integrated we've got rail we've got planes we've got you know uh, car hire car club we've got bike there's so many of us there was a moment where we all had an epiphany and we all realised that actually outside of all of our work of integrating and the APIs it was about understanding what it was. What, did we, what were we trying to achieve for the consumer? How do we simplify what is quite a complex um, sort of scenario where you've got multi-operators, all with very strong brands, all with very maybe very defined definitions of how they want to be perceived? And how do you bring that to a very simple message to say to the consumer, actually, all of us are here to support you, give you more choice. Uh, we're all here to actually help you deliver, um, you know, Better, efficient, more sustainable transport, uh, and it takes. I think it takes these sort of projects to really force the operators uh, and the, you know, the tech companies in the room to understand how you market that, how you grow that, how you get people to use the mass platform. So we've learned a lot from that mass project. We've got we're involved in about three or four right now in the UK, uh, and each one is different. Each one has a different take on the way they're presenting it or developing their mass platform. But I think the ownership on the operator, say whether it's car club or car sharing operator, is to um, make sure that they're supportive of the other modes of transport, whilst also making sure that there's a very clear objective. What is the aim of the project? Uh, And for us, particularly at Enterprise, it's about delivering value um, growing the um, revenues within that op- um, that business model so that it can be a sustainable model, something that is actually delivering tangible change to somewhere like the Highlands and Islands, which is very rural. So there's not a lot of public transport to start with. So it needs businesses like Enterprise, like Oliver's, to come in and invest in the area. Uh, so, yeah, it, I think it's been really exciting. And I think that we'll see much more of those projects.
1: Oz, those words, better, more efficient, more sustainable transport. Let's use that as a great message to end this episode on. Oz, Oliver, thank you for being guests on Ride the Urban Mobility Podcast.
0: Ride the Urban Mobility Podcast is brought to you by Covetic and Pay By Phone. Learn more about Ride Podcast Partners at www.covetic.com and www.paybyphone.co.uk. This episode of Ride was recorded and produced by Martin Strong with marketing support from Natalie Webster. You can subscribe to Ride wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to share it, like it and give it a rating. Sign up to the Ride LinkedIn page and check out our website for episode notes and links and the Ride podcast blog at www.ridemobilitypodcast.com.